Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Welcome to episode three of the Battery Technology Podcast with me, Ken Davis. Now, one of the major issues facing any emerging industry is the supply of talent. For an industry such as the battery technology space, which sets the highest growth expectations, that issue is exacerbated. Even with the most efficiently designed development and manufacturing processes, there's going to be a mismatch between the supply of skills you need and the demand for them. Strategically, that's a major obstacle to achieving the growth goals required. How successful companies are at attracting and retaining talent will go a long way in separating the winners from the losers in the battery space. So those executives whose responsibility for talent attraction strategies, well, they have a considerable burden. Just how do you create a talent stream that meets the capability needs of the business long-term? And added to this, the employment world post-COVID has changed. Expectations amongst workforces for flexibility, for homeworking, well, they will never be the same again. In an environment where demand for talent is as intense as it's ever been, that means that candidates are in the driving seat. And as more and more battery investments come on stream, that's a situation which in all likelihood will only intensify. It's a fascinating challenge with some very innovative solutions. And over the course of the next two episodes, we'll be discussing this issue. Firstly, with Chema Robla, who's the people director of Basquevault in Spain, to discuss just how, in a talent-constrained world, you can attract the people you need. Well, I am very pleased indeed to be able to welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, Chema Robla. Chema is the People Director of Basque Vault, uh, who is situated in northern Spain, just south of Bilbao. We've been looking to have conversations with people from Scandinavia, and now we're going to the, really the other extremity, I guess, of, of Europe to talk about the very similar issues, uh, and those issues of attraction, of talent attraction, and how businesses in this field deal with that major issue. So, Chema, welcome. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us on the Battery Technology Podcast. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure for me to, to be part of, uh, this, of uh, this podcast. And uh, yeah, join you today and discuss about this challenge that I think that is uh, common worldwide, no matter if you are in Scandinavia, in Spain, or in the US. So common problems or common challenges. I think that's true. And I think everybody I've spoken to in this field feels the same way. And I think they've got a tough job. They've got a really, so I don't envy your position, Gemma. You've got a, you've got a tough job over the course of the next uh, five to 10 years, I think. It's a beautiful job to be done, uh, no matter if it's hard. So, <laughs> well, well said. Um, Firstly, it might be worth just giving a bit of an introduction to Basque Vault, because some people will be familiar with them, some people will be less familiar. It'd be a good idea for me to understand technologically what you are doing and an idea of the scale of your business and the idea of the trajectory of the business. Sure. This uh, project uh, comes from a 10-year uh, research uh, project 
uh, coming from uh, CAC Energy Gune, which is a research and development uh, center based in, in Vitoria Castells, uh, south of Bilbao, uh, northern Spain, Basque Country. And uh, they have been working on a polymer solution for solid state battery, uh, a research led by Professor uh, Michel Armand, one of the brightest minds of uh, solid state batteries. Yep. And uh, let's say that they came up with a solution with a polymer uh, for a solid state battery. So they decided to start with a spin off to mm -hmm. scale and industrialize this, uh, this technology. Uh, basketball uh, was founded uh, last summer, uh, 1st of June. So uh, we are really, really young. Right. And, uh, yeah, our CEO Francisco joined the uh, 15th of uh, June, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been uh, a lot of work uh, since June uh, that Francisco joined. Uh, we have recruited more than 30 uh, employees that uh, are already onboarded that will come from now until the end of March, and we keep on growing. And uh, we are mainly focusing on two main areas, on R&D on one side and process engineering on the other side. Yeah. Why? Because uh, right now we are based in, in CIC facilities, using mm. their labs and mm. collaborating with, with them. But uh, we are planning to have our building ready by the end of March. And okay. uh, by, by building, I, I uh, mean having our own lab. So we, we, we are recruiting scientists to do all the technology transfer from CAC to our uh, people, to our team, and uh, also to start, uh, well, keep on developing or keep on improving our technology from an R&D point of view. So uh, we are planning to recruit and keep on recruiting around uh, 30 scientists this year and uh, more the, the, the following years linked with uh, the, the needs that we will have. And the other area is process engineering. Uh, this building that we will have by the end of March is not only for a lab, it's only our headquarters and also our prototype line. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to receive uh, machines. We are starting to commission and define the layout uh, in September, October, for having the prototype line ready by the beginning of 2024. This means that we already need process engineers. We have uh, 10 already hired. We will need uh, some more to define work instructions, to define how to scale our recipes, how to scale uh, all the work that is being done on the lab to the prototype line. Yeah, that's mainly where we are. Uh, we face this year as a recruiting challenge going from eight employees when I joined in November to 75 by the end of the year. Wow. And uh, a tenfold all... increase. So, I mean, that's a that's a big step step forward. It, it is. It is. And the uh, main challenge is that we need a strong structure, meaning that, uh, of course, you can you can you can have some junior profiles when you have a stronger structure. Mm. But if you have nothing, you need uh, the most talented guys, the guys with uh, a lot of knowledge that can help us to improve our technology, to develop our technology, and to scale our technology. Mm. That's uh, critical. And uh, that's where we are right now. Yeah, attracting people with a lot of knowledge to help us uh, grow very, very fast uh, this, uh, this project. Well, that's a 
brilliant explanation. So thank you for that. The the time scales you're involved with, you're moving from R&D into the prototype scenario. When do you expect it to become a, a, a fully operational uh, manufacturing business? Okay, uh, so this is uh, a brand new technology. I mean, uh, a polymer solution is yeah. not the common solution in the market. No. So we went. To, we want to the risk. Uh, this is uh, this uh, scale up. This industrialization. Mm -hmm. So we go for a prototype line uh, during whole 2024 and uh, mid 2025. Okay. We need to work at the same time on the pilot line. Yeah, uh, pilot line would be ready or must be ready by mid uh, 2025. Mm -hmm. So um, let's say that, that by the end of 2025 we will be around 200 employees, right? And and around 400 by the end of 2026. The Giga factory is expected to be ready by 2027, right? So that's yeah it, it seems like it's four years but uh, it's not that much <laughs> you haven't got any holidays booked i hope Tim. no i'm not, <laughs> not. <laughs> fascinating now that's really interesting to get an idea of the trajectory and the time scales and the challenge one of the things that struck me in that conversation or that that explanation was some companies in this field have any the advantage of of being already established of being a brand that people recognize in this space and may have been involved in these kind of things for a while. Uh, I'm thinking of the automotive OEMs, for example, they'll be easily recognized and they're clearly in, involved in similar work. You have the added complication of employer branding and employer marketing from a position of innovation and being new to the market. And that adds another level of complexity to uh, making sure the people that you want to be interested in your business are aware of your business so the whole awareness issue just interested in your thoughts on that and and whether you found that a greater level of difficulty or whether you've not found that to be an issue i came from a well-known wind industry company and uh, one of the first thoughts i had uh, when i joined basketball was that Nobody knows this project. It's a startup, uh, so it's risky to, to, to join a project where you are not selling a product, where you have uh, four years of uh, development almost. So uh, uh, uncertainty was one of the of the main topics I had in mind. But when I st when I started to talk with uh, with uh, people from R and D side, a lot of people knew CIC Energy Good. A lot of yeah. people knew Professor Michel Armand. Of course, yeah. And a lot of people appreciated the idea of uh, getting involved in a project that is really trying to change uh, the game, that is giving something new to the market. Yeah. Uh, that it's uh, a solid-state battery, a polymeric solution. And uh, I found that besides, of course, people uh, feel that this is uh, challenging, that this is risky, they understood that the technology makes sense. The, the, the background that we have, the 10 years of investigation, the, the, the companies investing on, on our company, that's a good proof that the project is uh, solid enough to join. In addition to this, when you have been working on an established company, 
uh, you know that it's all about procedures and policies and following what is established. When you join the startup, you have the chance to change what you don't really like about your last company or uh, to make things uh, happen or to make yeah. things go faster. And uh, yeah, when we go to the market, we look for that. We look for experience, but we also look for um, a personality, a way of doing things, a way of uh, challenging things and a way of uh, facing the problems. Mm. So when you meet that kind of people, they are willing to join no matter if uh, you are not known in, in, in the battery industry yet. I think actually certain types of people would be absolutely attracted to a scenario where they are one of the first people in the business and they've got a chance to influence things in a way that you just can't if you're joining a business that's been established for 30 years. So I would imagine that would actually be a a competitive advantage to be able to join a business where they know that they can influence things very quickly and very early. Yes, that, that's correct. And uh, okay, I've done a great statement of uh, people loving joining basketball, but on the other side, we have, for example, people for uh, process engineering or people for uh, support uh, activities like HR or finance or that they may not be as in love as uh, scientists with the technology. <laughs> I, I get that. So that's that's even more challenging because you don't have technology on your side in, in, in this time. So what have I done with, uh, with those profiles? Well, first of all, um, we have a management team that comes from big OEMs, that comes from big companies. So when you see that the people that is leading the project join basketball, even coming from big OEMs, that's something that make people think, okay, so if they have done this, maybe it's not that risky. Mm. And on the other side, uh, of course, the personality that I talked about, but also creating this company as something uh, flexible, as something transparent, as something uh, somehow participative, collaborative, mm. something where people can be part of. I think that's one of the main attractive topics I have been discussing with, uh, with uh, potential candidates. How are we addressing the work-life balance? How are we addressing the participation in different projects? How are we addressing the uh, daily routine of, of the company? And that's where the profiles that are not that much attracted by technology, or it's not the main, uh, main motivator, uh, that's where they find that uh, basketball is something different. That's interesting. And there's a number of points I want to come to just to expand on that in the sense of this idea of culture. I guess that's another advantage to a business that is relatively young in its life cycle in the sense it can learn from the world what cultures attract the kind of people we want. Um, and because you're early in your life cycle, you can almost design the culture to reflect the wants and needs of the people you need in the business in a way that a more established business would find much more difficult to do. Would you, would you agree with that? And do you give, you give thought to that in the terms of the way the business is developing? Definitely. And uh, that's, that, that was one of the main reasons why I, why I myself, when I joined the uh, basketball, the, the chance to understand how can we create a culture 
that people that makes people feel better in the workplace that uh, makes people want to go to the office in regards of that what we have done is uh, understanding what people really need and uh, i mean right now we have 11 nationalities okay already <laughs> with 30 employees 11 nationalities that's wow. there is uh, one common feeling that uh, salary is okay of course we all work for a salary but what about flexibility what about remote working what about work life balance what about participating in different projects in the company if i'm a scientist i want also to be part of people department or uh, project management so we have created um, a scenario a uh, work environment where people can of course within some boundaries but people can manage their time like flexibility when entering the company flexibility for uh, lunch time flexibility for leaving the company flexibility mm. for working remote when possible we are also creating a culture where if you have a family you want to be with your family so we need to understand that and uh, if people is delivering i don't really care about uh, being in the office every single day 9 to 5 so when you talk to people when you are closer to people when you understand what people really need you can come uh, to policies that can balance uh, company needs and people needs and that's something that no matter if you are from india from germany from spain or from the us people wants to 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 have a, a life together with a professional life and that's something that we are adding we are creating and uh, people is feeling comfortable with that yeah i'm not surprised and it's interesting that because i've been in industry a long time a lot longer than you uh Chairman. but and i've seen that change you know 20 years ago it was about turning up and actually a, a lot of the benefits you got was really geared to turning up and and now i've seen a change uh, particularly in in uh tons attraction fields where it's much more about deliverables and how and giving the responsibility to that person to deliver now how they choose to deliver and how they how they manage their time in that delivery is kind of down to them as long as they deliver definitely been a change generationally i think people in their 20s definitely have that perspective on it do you generally agree with that yes and uh uh, as you said there are changes going on in industry and uh you, you can go to a big company and maybe on the corporate headquarters you have uh, some initiatives like uh, the ones that i said but when you go down to the industry down to the shop floor or to the operative area that's harder to to, to see and that's where i can see that in certain positions you can you can also apply that model yeah and um i said uh it's not about the company establishing some policies. It's about also the re recruiting people that also feel that that policies can work. Because um, you need to rely on your employees. You need to trust your employees that uh, if you give them flexibility, they are going to deliver. Uh, they need to have that mindset that, okay, uh, probably today I need to leave earlier or uh, I start uh, later but uh, i have these goals i have these deadlines so i need to manage my my, my time to to get to to that point 
and uh, that's something that you well you require the right people to to create that uh, environment and uh, when it comes to a startup yeah time is uh, limited <laughs> one of the things i'm i'm always interested in this field is because i've i have come certainly i've done some recruitment and but they have tended to be in established industries where the skills exist and there is a pool of people with those skills and it's really in comparison to your issue relatively simple to simply fish in that pool of established skills and pull out the fish that i want in my business if i can put it that way uh, this is different in this industry because the pool of established skills is either non-existent or very shallow therefore it requires i would imagine changes in the approach to who do we want because those skills aren't really there or they are in a limited way and i'm interested from a people attraction perspective how things are different in your environment when those skills don't exist hard is really hard <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> and and that's that's the whole point of uh, going global with recruiting one of the things that francisco our ceo uh, told me when uh, when i was interviewed was uh, what's your experience recruiting globally and uh, it's quite a few and uh, he told me you are not going to find in spain maybe not in europe uh, the profiles that we require when i started uh, in this business in the battery industry it's not about spain or europe it's worldwide you mm. cannot find the required profiles worldwide because there is simply a lack of of uh, of profiles with knowledge on on batteries and if you think about solid state batteries even lower yeah so what to do uh, first of all try to find the talent closer to uh, the battery industry. I mean, people have, that have worked on e-mobility, people with knowledge on chemical industries, people with knowledge on, yeah, batteries, maybe other technologies, but batteries. Mm -hmm. So you create that uh, big structure or you create that solid structure of people with experience in mm -hmm. the industry, experience in automotive, experience in batteries. And you add also people coming from other industries that can add value because they have experience on, uh, I don't know, lean uh, manufacturing processes. So you create a group of, of, of talent that uh, as they are experienced, they can understand the, the new business. And when they get involved, for example, with uh, our R&D team that has this core knowledge of our technology, can understand, can deliver, and can make the business grow faster. When you have that, you need to go for other profiles. And uh, you think about uh, young talents. You think mm -hmm. about people coming out from university. Okay, there is also no people coming out from university with the required knowledge. True. Um, if you think about the, the master's degree or doctoral studies that you have in universities, they are not matching uh, industry needs. So what to do? You start creating a pool of, of talent. You start to recruit more people than the people that you need to train them on your facilities. Mm -hmm. You start to create collaborations with universities to tell them, hey, you are proposing this, but I need this. How can we bridge that gap? 
Mm. And uh, yeah, some universities are open for that. Mm -hmm. So my, at least my, my, my view is creating a solid structure of, of experienced employees that can partner with R&D uh, team to understand our technology, to deliver our project on time and create a pool of talent coming from universities, coming from other industries, coming from uh, other companies that can be trained, can be de developed in-house or partnering with other institutions to have the next generation available. It sounds like you've broadened slightly the acceptable skill base from exact to close. That probably also gives you more choice in terms of the type of character you look for, the inquisitive, the problem solver, the person who will not accept things without really understanding yeah. the value. Does that enable that process in the sense of because you've widened the skill uh, relevance, if you like, yeah. you've got more choice in terms of characteristics? Yeah. Every time I talk with a manager, I told them how important is the battery knowledge for this position? Of course, there are some positions that you need somebody with the, the, the hard skills, with the of technology course. knowledge, and uh, you cannot negotiate with that. But when that's more flexible, yeah, for sure. Because as you said, we can choose uh, soft skills, we can choose personality, we can choose culture fit instead of just hard skills. For me, and uh, that's something that I've always thought it's more important to have an employee motivated that understands the culture that understands how do we want to do things and an employee that challenges what we are doing for me is better than having the perfect uh, technologist that understands perfectly what we are trying to do from a technical point of view people can gain experience on technology but you cannot change 100% the, the, the culture and the personality of somebody. So let's go for something that we can train instead of for something that we don't really know if we will be able to change. Yeah, the perfect candidate doesn't exist. And there are always compromises. And sometimes the compromises on character and sometimes the compromises on exact skill fit. Just want to come back to a point you made about internationalization, if you like, of recruitment. The fact that you've, you've clearly adopted that approach and clearly the correct approach. How, how do you go about that? It's one thing to have that objective, but then how do you reach people that are in a completely different part of the world? How do you get the message to the people you need to get it to? Of course, we rely on external consultants because uh, I'm a one-man army right now. So uh, I cannot do everything on my own. But uh, yeah, internet gives us the possibility of having people applying uh, from all over the world. We are also attending to a lot of events, so people get to know basketball better. And then, of course, LinkedIn that is uh, helping all of us. <laughs> of course, universities and uh, yeah, all, all, all sources that you can think of. When, when you find those, uh, uh, that talent, when you find that people, that's the, the funny thing, uh, starting to make them aware of who we are, where we are located, because Vitoria, I can tell you, is not well known. <laughs> and uh, there it comes uh, technology, there it comes Spain as well. When uh, you tell people that you are a solid state uh, developer 
manufacturer company, when uh, you say that you are based in Spain, suddenly you catch the the attention of the people, and uh, that's that's something funny that uh, mm. the location. Uh, the fact that yes. you're in Spain is Spain as a nation a, a destination that people think, yeah, I like the sound of that. Yes, yes, they think about okay, it's sunny, people is friendly. Then they get to know that Basque Country is not as sunnier as uh, the south of Spain. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, yeah. it's still far sunnier than England, so... Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, uh, our location is something positive for, for the talent, uh, and the project is also positive for the talent. And then that's where we go deep into relocation package. When we go into how can I make the people feel comfortable uh, when moving to a new country, to a new culture. Mm. And that's something that uh, I have been working uh, for a long time, not, not only as relocation, but also as a people approach. That is, you being close to the people, you being close even to the family. Mm. I tell a lot of uh, candidates that if you need me to talk with your family, if you need me to talk with your husband, with your wife, uh, completely open. Because uh, I want you to understand where are they coming. Because you are coming for technology, you are coming for a job, but your uh, family is coming following you. Mm. What is they going to find here? And then that's where you can give them ideas on what is Spain, shed some light on education, mm. on uh, can my kids go to a school where they speak English? What about food? What about religion? What about... Mm -hmm. uh, religion expenses and the visa and we have a whole process uh, defined to make them feel comfortable from day one mm -hmm. from the visa process until they settle in in Vitoria until they settle in in Spain so it's all about being close it's all about uh, giving them transparency and light on the process it's about uh, walking with them through the whole process until they are settled in, in the country and in the company and in the position. Tim, I'm interested to come back to something you mentioned earlier about the whole area of recruitment consultants and, and different businesses have different philosophy on that. I mean, if you've got 30 people working in your employer talent attraction department, I guess that's the kind of stuff you can do yourself uh, and would want to do yourself. In your scenario where it's a small business growing rapidly, uh, sometimes you will need to call on the experience of external recruiters. And so I'm interested in your experience of that and, and what you think makes a good recruitment consultant uh, helping you in your process. Okay, yeah. Um, when you're a new company, they understand that you're on your own. So you need some, some, some help. And um, we have received dozens of, of offers from different companies. I'm sure. And uh, when they show you the profiles, if there is a scarcity in profiles for us, there is also for them. So it's uh, when when I analyze the different uh, proposals from different companies, um, I am trying to understand if we are one more company that they are working for, or if we are really thinking on supporting us. There are two things that I go uh, straight with is I don't have a lot of money or maybe I have it, but I don't have that much for just yeah wasting it. I put a red line on the on the fee. Also, 
I want them to keep me busy with profiles that are relevant to me. Mm -hmm. I do not want, I don't know, long periods of silence or uh, just sending profiles that has nothing to do with my needs. So I want a consultant that is working close to me, that I feel that even being in the UK or being in the US or in another part of Spain, they are bringing me solutions. And that's, that's what I found with the company that I'm working on right now. I have, I have to say that almost daily, interesting profiles from people with different uh, knowledge, different uh, experience on the industry. When I talk to them about my restrictions in terms of money, uh, they adapt uh, to our needs. Mm -hmm. They gave us different solutions and tried to fit on our budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, when uh, the company keeps on growing and there are some profiles that are not relevant anymore, they keep on asking me, uh, is this what you want? Is this what you need? Uh, is this the profile that... And they also do something that is uh, really good for me, that is uh, they challenge the uh, potential candidates on salary. They challenge the potential candidates on relocation. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of advertising on, the, on social media. Mm -hmm. So when a candidate comes to me, it's a candidate that is almost perfect. That yeah, they will fit in regards of salary. They will fit in regards of culture. They are open to relocate. They understand what are we doing, and also that our advertising on social media is also feeding me with profiles on my own uh, talent uh, uh, pool, talent application platform. So it's a win-win. That sound that sounds like you've got a good one in the sense of uh, they sound like they're in proper partnership with you in this objective rather than transactional here's any here's a cv six months later here's another one no that's fascinating and it's good to hear certainly for businesses in in the early stages of their development where they don't necessarily have those kind of resources to throw at it uh it's great to hear that that kind of thing can work well so that's that's pleasing to hear the other thing i want to come back to which is something that's been mentioned before which is the role that universities have and the role they need to have going forward, because clearly this is an industry which has got significant demand for people. It's relatively well paid. It's doing amazing things for the world. It should be very attractive for people who want to change the world for the better. Yet, universities seem to be a little bit behind in terms of being able to provide specific courses, specific skills, specific training, which is aimed specifically at this industry. Now, maybe I'm being unkind there, but I'd be interested in your view at the sharp end of whether you feel universities are doing enough or could do more. They can do more. And um, the, the, I mean, the, the worst thing is that um, they can do more. They can also partner with uh, companies that we are willing to have the profiles that we need, not the startups, but also huge companies. And sometimes, well, a lot of times, you find that they are not even interested. Yeah, they have one partnership for one specific program, but they don't want to go into details. They don't want to go into details about, uh, okay, so uh, you are manufacturing this, you have these needs, company is in uh, 21st century needs uh, this. So let's try to adapt 
our curricula to uh, what the market is needing. Mm. And I get the point that uh, it's uh, an educational institution. Mm -hmm. They need to make students think on their own. They need to transfer a lot of knowledge to, to them. But that needs to be aligned with uh, what the market uh, will require. And that's not uh, a global problem. I found countries that they are approaching properly this problem. India, for example, is approaching properly this problem. Mm -hmm. Some universities in Germany, some in the UK, by the way, mm -hmm are at least open to that. Mm. But if we think globally, if we think about uh, Spain, for example, can I go to my local university here and ask for a program that will provide me with the students kind of ready for uh, the challenges that I have? No. I mean, if there is any university listening to us, hope so. I would recommend them to be more open to, to discussion. I would yeah. recommend them to understand what the companies need. And that's not only good for us, that's good for the students and that's good for the universities uh, themselves. Yeah, they are not providing us with uh, the, the, the soft skills and also the hard skills that uh, we are requiring. Uh, there is a lot of roof, uh, room for improvement in, in that area. That's really, really interesting. Well, look, that's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, you've got a big challenge. I don't envy you it, but I also do envy you it in the sense of it's a kind of a, an industry changing point in time. And and those are always exciting times. And and I think ones in that when I look back on my career, those are the things that stick out in my memory much more vividly. So I guess a good way to end it. Are, are you optimistic for the future? You're not losing sleep at night thinking about we're never going to do this in terms of the people side or Every single day I spend in this company, my smile goes bigger. Uh, I mean, when you are building something, when you get the feeling that people is so committed with uh, the challenges that we have, when you feel that people outside our company is uh, interested and getting more and more and more interested on what we are doing, that's a, that's a feeling that uh, it's hard to, to, to understand maybe from the outside but uh, makes you want to go to work every single day and wants to, to, to be optimistic every single minute that I spend in, in this company. So I wake up every morning with a smile. I sleep very well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I truly think that uh, we can make it. Fantastic. Gemma, thank you for all your insights. Thanks for joining us on the Battery Technology Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Continued success. Because clearly you're doing a lot of great things there. I wish you the very best success in the future. Thank you, Ken. And thank you uh, also for doing this uh, podcast, for doing uh, the, the events, the website that you have to spread the word, uh, the word about what batteries are. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted 2030 Net Zero Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com.